0: That's what righteousness is, right? It's speech that is backed by action. It's not empty words.
1: This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Jacqueline Weintraub, Associate Professor of Hebrew Bible, and Christian Wyman, Professor of the Practice of Religion and Literature. They're discussing Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9 through 14, which is appointed for track 2 of the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 16, for year C. The text is read for you by Mike McElintal, liturgical minister and chapel communications manager of Markwan Chapel, here at Yale Divinity School.
2: Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9 through 14. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
3: So this poem is really interesting. It's about the self righteousness, uh, if I read it correctly, of a certain kind of religiosity. It makes me think of Margaret Atwood saying, "Be careful about, be careful about praying for justice because you might actually get it." Done. And I think that that's sort of what this, what uh, the prophet is saying here. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. We take a lot of delight in fulfilling certain requirements, and yet we don't do the actual tasks of justice. Is that your reading, Jackie?
0: You know, what's really interesting here is I think that there's a lot of like work that's being done in this poem on what fasting is supposed to be about, because the way in which fasting is presented in a lot of the biblical texts is that it's like um, a physical, emotional response to disaster that's dramatized. Right? It's like you're putting your body in a false or a synthetic state of grief in order to draw attention, to draw God's attention to to you as a kind of like betrothed, you know, downtrodden falling apart body, um, when that's not actually like what's going on with you. You're actually just, um, sort of like a vaccine, right. In the sense that it's simulating an immune response or like fasting is like, you know, trying to get attention of the deity, um, for the kinds of things that the deity would pay attention to, right. Which is like, you know, the decay of the body, an emergency situation, uh, you know, someone who is, um, whose body is humbled and brought low, right, that, you know, God would pay attention to that in order to get, you know, the deity's attention. But here, it's it's really interesting because why do we fast, right, this is a, you know, people fast and speak, why do we fast but you, God, don't see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? And it's, well, because while you're fasting, while trying to get my attention to fix an injustice, you're not doing the same. You are not trying to fix injustices yourself. You are not being like a god.
3: Yeah, it makes me think of a lot of these a lot of these prophetic texts are about visionary experience and the kind of knowledge that comes out of visionary experience. And there's a poem by Richard Wilberg or Teresa, where the last stanza run. She's had her mystical experience and doesn't know how to trust what follows. And, and she says the truth came soon and plain. Visions were true, which quickened her to run God's barefoot errands in the rocks of Spain beneath its beating sun and lock the O of ecstasy within the tempered consonants of discipline. And so with ecstasy, those moments are proven from God, proven to be real and truthful, when they lead to right action, when they're translated into action in the world, and I see this poem as um, just like you're saying, uh, God saying that that um, that's precisely what's not happening for these people.
0: You know, what's really interesting is how I think the word righteousness becomes sort of moralized and. Made like, you know, sort of religious when righteousness in the Hebrew really sort of refers to a kind of uprightness or correct behavior. But it's not even correct behavior. It's like behaving in a way that um, is faithful to what is promised, right? So God makes promises to his people that are supposed to be, he's supposed to uphold. And people also, you know, depending on their position in society and their means, also have a responsibility towards people in their community. Right. So it's sort of like these nested hierarchies.
3: Hmm. I think you're referring to verse eight. Thy righteousness shall go before thee. The reward is perhaps not what people are praying for. Uh the reward is simply the glory of the Lord. You know, it's not a kind of practical reward. It's it's the presence of God that that they're promised
0: exactly. I mean, presence. I think is actually the perfect way of thinking about it because the word "glory" in Hebrew, kavod, it's it's physical, it's weightiness, it's heaviness, weightiness, and it's physical presence. So this idea in an earlier sort of reading of Isaiah, Isaiah six, right of the throne room being filled up by the garment of of God, right. It's God's glory is really God's like full embodied presence that is the reward here, right? Because God's embodied presence is what allows life to sustain itself. It's where like life and, you know, the creative capacity comes from.
3: And to repair itself. We end the verse 12 with, shall build the old waste places and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths. I'm I'm reading the King James Version. The repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in.
0: Yeah, I I mean, this reminds me, I mean, I, I think about climate change. And I think about the prophetic call today to protect our world. Ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. In the ancient world, many ancient cities were rebuilt after having been destroyed. Babylon was plundered by the Assyrians at least three times. And every time, right, the city seemed to rise up more splendid than before. And And the idea here is that the world can return from a disaster. There is always that possibility of hope that the world can return from a disaster. But one cannot sit around and just wait for it to happen.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think that's why that Margaret Atwood quote, comes to my mind i can't remember what the exact quote is but you know be, be careful about praying for justice because you might actually get some because i think we toss around notions of social justice and and even pray for it and a lot of churches i've been in we have prayers for social justice and if that's not being translated into action it's meaningless it's essentially the same thing that's going on in this poem and
0: it's actually the different i mean i think that you know the prophetic discourse in really engaging with this question of, is speech just words or is it efficacious in the world? What, what is the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? And it's not just did the thing happen or not, right? Because it's not all predictive. We talk a lot about speaking truth to power, right? But it's about how speech is backed by action that's what that's what straightforwardness or righteousness is right it's speech that is backed by action it's not empty words that are just performed for some sort of personal gain or whatever
3: yeah i wonder what you think of i mean this poem that presupposes god's justice the, the the passage from isaiah and um of course that's a real question that a lot of people are Have is what does God's justice mean, and there's a a poem by Ann Carson called God's Justice. I'll read it to you. In the beginning, there were days set aside for various tasks. On the day he was to create justice, God got involved in making a dragon fly and lost track of time. It was about two inches long with turquoise dots all down its back like Lauren Bacall. God watched it bend its tiny wire elbows as it set about cleaning the transparent piece of its head. The eye globes mounted on the case rotated this way and that as it polished every angle. Inside the case, which was glassy black like the windows of the downtown bank, God could see the machinery humming and he watched the hum travel all the way down turquoise dots to the end of the tail and breathe off as light. Its black wings vibrated in and out. This is a wonderful, ironic, piercing poem. It's actually from a sequence called the Book of Isaiah. And so she's reimagining Isaiah, uh, these contemporary poems. And in this one, God, you know, gets distracted by the beauty of the earth, by, the, by his creative capacities, and, and he forgets to make this thing called justice. And, you know, we're kind of screwed ever since. Or is it that uh, the beauty of the world is the justice? It contains the justice that we're looking for, and the point is that possibility as well.
1: Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Weintraub and Wyman, for being back with us to talk about Isaiah this week. Remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and visit our website, yalebiblestudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aiden Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. Katie Stewart did the transcript, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and
3: season.